Start your computations for time warp. Bones, you come with me. You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. You're listening to a special episode of Mike on the Mic. Mike interviews Charles Hildebrandt at the Museum of Science Fiction. I, I was looking, and there, I'm, I'm sure that Charles Hildebrandt is not the most uncommon name in the world. Mm. <laughs> I'm the only one. Oh, really? Okay. I was, no, there are, there are not many of us. Right? Okay. No. Are, yep. you, are, you are the Charles Hildebrandt whose father was one of the designers of the original like concept artwork for Star Wars, correct? So I'm the, not, you're almost there. So uh, my dad was Tim Hildebrandt. Okay. Uh, he was a, uh, in his time, a very well-known science fiction and fantasy artist. Uh, and um, he, uh, he's done many things, and I'm glad you asked me about that one because I'll show you, hold on a second. So, so for those of you listening at home, ladies and gentlemen, it is an original Star Wars poster, like the from the first film. Like that's got that's got to be one of the one of the originals, then, correct? Yeah, uh, that's right. So he was the he was he was one of the artists for the original. That is the movie poster from the, for Star Wars in 1977. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, which is a wonderful story. Uh, I don't know how much time you have to talk about that. As but much as much time as you need. As much as you need. Okay, so uh, b- before that, before that, my dad was actually pretty well known for having done the Lord of the original Lord of the Rings calendars in the 1970s, and a yeah. whole host of science fiction book covers and records and you name it. Um, and so he had something of a following. It's pretty well known. Um, so much so. That uh, and, and, I, and I don't want to overstate it, but he he was very well known at the time, and um, a, a regular part of his work as a commercial artist was to do movie posters, uh, which back then were all painted. Um, that's pretty rare today. Occasionally you still see it, but but at the time in the seventies and even in nineteen eighties, most movie posters were works of art, not photo montages. Yeah, and uh, so. Um, uh, a big part of his, a big part, of any part of his job was doing movie posters. And so, for instance, he had been contracted to do, uh, believe it or not, one of the uh, a, a poster for Barbarella. <laughs> was it wasn't used? Yeah. <laughs> they went with they went with uh, with somebody else. But that's an example. So he, you know, it was it was a part of his thing. Um, so in nineteen in 1976, when I was nine. Uh, my dad got a call from a advertising agency in New York that he had done work for and said, come on into the city. We have a job for you. And uh, he came in. This is a small agency. Uh, uh, and uh, they gave him a job. He said, well, you know, well, there's a new science fiction movie coming out. And uh, we, we have this poster. They need a poster. They, they don't like the one they've got. They need a new one. Um, so can you do it? Um, yeah, sure. Okay. Well, there's only one catch. We we really want this tomorrow. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, okay. Well, I don't know if tomorrow, but <laughs> we'll do the best we can. Um, and uh, so the, what's this movie about? Well, they gave him a brief rundown of this film, 
and uh, called Star Wars, of course. And uh, but they knew very little about it. Uh, <laughs> they gave him a big, thick pile of black and white eight by ten glossy photos, mostly close-ups of Darth Vader, stormtroopers, you know, a couple of finished effect shots and so on. He said, here, take these. And uh, they said, but, you know, the thing about tomorrow, it's reasonable because this movie is terrible and no one is ever going to see this film. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. So he came home and then the next morning, again, I was nine years old. The next morning he was driving me to school. And while I was only nine, I was already a huge science fiction and fantasy fan. Yeah. Uh, and I had already been to a Star Trek convention in 1976. And uh, he handed me that stack of black and white photos and said, Charles, I got this new job uh, yesterday for a movie poster. And here's the movie. And he hands me the big black and white photos. And, and he told me that story. They say, well, I don't know anything about this movie. I know it's got some weird names. There's something called Darth Vader, and there's a Chewbacca is another name in there, which he thought was very funny. And, 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 and I see, he said, I don't know much about it. They tell me it's terrible, though. And I'm sitting in the car next to him looking at the black and white photos, and I said, I don't know, Dad. It looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, perfect target. And I'm the target demo, right? Yeah. I'm a nine-year-old science fiction fan. Okay. okay. So, and I like to count myself as an early positive critic of Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> Prophetic right. in a way, yeah. Prophetic, right. Yeah. So, so uh, um, my dad, it, it wasn't a day, but it was like two days. And they went out, sent off the poster, fine. Um, uh, about a week later, the advertising agency called back and said, please come in to the city again. We want you to make some changes to the poster. Again, no Photoshop, no computer, so that had to be done physically. Go paint on the poster. Uh, and here were the changes were a couple of minor changes. They wanted to add in C-3PO and R2 to the poster, which who actually wasn't there, but now the funniest one. They said, could you please put your name larger on the poster? You see, back in 1976, again, Star Wars was this terrible movie that no one was going to see, but Hildebrandt, had a name yeah. in science fiction and poor Star Wars needs all the help it can get, right? Like they, the advertising agency and Fox thought that, that, that somehow that having that name on there was actually going to increase sales of Star Wars tickets. Wow. Hilarious. All right. So he's, and this is late in, I want to say in the fall of 1976 when all of this is going on. Right? So he said, he does this, it's gone. Um, all right, so mostly we all kind of forgot about it. I mean, I didn't really think about it until come May of 1977, the next year. Now I'm 10, and we got tickets to go to the East Coast's premiere of Star Wars in New York City. But before, the, this is the actual theatrical booking agent premiere for Star Wars in New York. Now, back again in the 1970s, there was no AMC, right? There was no, there were no giant theatrical chains. What there were were dozens and dozens and dozens of little regional chains. You know, this guy owns five theaters and that guy owns 10 theaters and this guy owns two or whatever. And in order to book a film, studios had to actually show the movie. They, the, the, the owners of these theatrical chains would, would come, be invited, look at the movie, do you want to take it? Seems very low tech, right? But that's how it was done. So for the East Coast, they had they set up a screening to do that. 
and we got invited to that screening. So, you know, we got four tickets and uh, there was my, my mom and my dad and me. And, you know, there's only three of us. Uh, so, which, and by the way, those tickets were wonderful. They're, they're big, dark blue tickets, but yay big with silver lettering to Star Wars. And I still have that fourth one. Um, but anyway, so this is great. So again, 10 years old, and I, I, I go to, and I'm accompanying my parents into this theatrical booking agent premiere in New York City uh, in this gigantic theater. It's like three levels deep underground below the subways, right? Deep underground. Uh, and it's a colossal theater at the time. And so we all file in, and there's something very peculiar. This is a screening. It's, you know, it's not like a commercial showing. So first off, there's no trailers. There's nothing. It's just, it's going to be just the movie. But more interestingly, on every single seat in this colossal theater, Fox had put down a printed guide to Star Wars, about a 15-page book um, describing the characters with pronunciation guides for every single character and what was going on and explaining the entire film. Because, I didn't know at that moment, but I found out later, Fox was terrified uh, about something, uh, which we kind of take for granted now, and, and uh, uh, but it is remarkable. This was the first major motion picture um, to be released to theaters that did not take place on Earth or mention Earth. Oh, wow. Ever. I never and thought of you, that. You never thought of that, right? Like, it's true. I, oh, my God, right? That's actually right. It's yeah. the first. No one had ever. I mean, there have been science fiction films, obviously, and I have Forbidden Planet or whatever, but they all talk about Earth, right? And it's, it's in the future, but it's Earth's future. This is it. This is the first time anyone has ever done something that has nothing to do with that. 20th Century Fox is terrified that no one would be able to understand that, that that was just too strange. Okay, so they gave everybody a guidebook. Um, so we sit down, and the theater is filled with, remember, cynical theatrical booking agents. <laughs> um, and again, there's no trailers, so the, start, the film just begins with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then John Williams' music just blasts out. Um, and then a Star Destroyer flies over <laughs> blasting, and the theater went wild. People had never seen anything like this before. Uh, people were cheering at the screen. This, again, cynical group of folks were all a critics, and these are critics and theatrical booking agents watching this for the first time, were cheering, standing up and cheering. Everyone was happy. That's awesome. So it, it was, and yeah. we walk, so we walk out of the theater, you know, the showing ends, and of course I'm singing the theme music, I'm not alone. Um, <laughs> as we file up the escalators, remember this theater is deep underground, the first level up, they had uh, folks with buckets of May the Force Be With You buttons handing them out, that wow. was cool. I still have that, I still have the book too, the 15 page booklet they had. Um, anyway, so we go up to the second level, uh, uh, now above the theaters, and this level of the theaters was filled with payphones. For those of you who are too young to know, that was a <laughs> that was a booth <laughs> where where one had kind of a cell phone that was stuck to the wall, and you had to pay to use it. Think of it that way. Uh, and the uh, uh, these the row after row after row of payphones, and folk the theatrical booking was lining up to use the payphones. And as I walked by them and went up, you could hear them all saying, take it, take it for as long as they offer, take it for as many weeks, take it, take it, book it, book it. 
Amazing. (laughs) So we walk up and and leave the theater and, you know, there it is. Amazing. I, uh, it was sort of at a personal level, which I did not realize this at all until my own daughter, who is now 10, uh, when I told this story to her, you know, not long after showing her Star Wars the first time. Now, she had known vaguely our family connection to all of it, but... After seeing Star Wars and, and discussing Star Wars, and um, I tell her the story, she said something to me that I, I had never heard, never thought about, but it, it is true. She said, Dad, you were one of the first kids ever to see Star Wars. I yeah. said, that's true. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I'm like, I, I just, there were like no children in that theater for sure. I might have been literally the only one. Uh, or yeah, I mean, maybe a few, but it wasn't much. Yeah, it was, it's really remarkable. So there you go. <laughs> that's, that, that's quite a history too and yeah. that's that's what's incredible about this too is as you mentioned this was the first movie not on earth essentially but also too yeah. think of every other because as a 10 year old this was not your first time in the movies was it no not at all and my parents grew I, I was a I was a film fan from very from a yeah. very young age so no it was absolutely not my first time nor and as I want to make clear it was not my first time watching anything like any sort of science fiction movie I was you know, I had been to a science fiction convention, a Star Trek convention, my first time a year earlier. So I was already, you know, primed for this, right? What I was a the movie audience. that starts with a title crawl, not mm-hmm. like no no credits, no – it says Star Wars and here's an intro to the story and then you're right into the story. Like that right. That must have been – because we've all taken it for granted. I mean I'm I, I'm a, a few years younger than you. Um, so I my first experience with Star Wars was on VHS when I was a child. So we all took it for granted because it was already ingrained into the pop culture DNA. This is Star Wars. Star Wars is different. Star Wars is awesome. But that was the first time any movie that I can think of that was presented like that. That, I mean, that must have been Um, incredible action-wise. Well, uh, that's interesting. And it says a little bit different about generations, how they think about it. Um, No, I didn't find the title crawl to be unusual at all. Uh, I had grown up, remember, as a science fiction fan – and so I, I associated that immediately with the 1930s uh, Flash Gordon. Which, which is what they were based on. Which is what yeah. it was. Which yeah. is if, he, if George Lucas had gotten the rights to Flash Gordon, he would have made that instead of Star Wars. He tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was trying. Um, I so, about that, uh, yeah. Right, right. So, no, I, I, knew, I knew what it was. It was a call out to that. I, I understood that immediately. So I didn't I, – I, I mean, it was cool. I thought it was really cool, but I, it wasn't alien to me, I would say. That, okay. wasn't, that wasn't that strange. Um, you're right that it had no opening credits, uh, but um, that was kind of less impressive than just John Williams' music. Oh, I, I'm sure. Yeah, that's really the he's the that, gold standard now when it comes to films. Um, yeah. What was I, I thought was interesting, and it's just kind of a side note, and we'll actually introduce you because you, we've been talking for a while. And nobody knows who you are. No, we haven't introduced hard. you yet. Um, right. I remember that. There was a big to do with I want to say it was it was either the Screenwriters Guild or the Motion Picture Association of America that George Lucas didn't have uh, the credits at the beginning of the movie and right. they got into a big fight about that. Right. And it wasn't until it Return was, of the Jedi. But yeah, that's right. Oh, well, it started with the Directors Guild actually, oh, as okay. I recall. Um, who uh, yeah was the, the the yeah the Directors Move Directors Guild it had to be on the front of the film. Um, yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, to be fair, uh, uh, I, I think that some of why George Lucas got away with it and is because of what I told you when we started this story. Yeah. 
most people thought it was going to be a flop and didn't really care. And, and that's kind of why. And when they realized that money could be made off of this, then all of a sudden, hey, you got to do this. Yeah, yeah right. makes perfect sense. So, guys, we started you off with an awesome story. And this is not just any random person that we're talking to. Oh, no. This is Charles Hildebrandt. As he, as you heard mentioned, his father, Tim Hildebrandt, is the artist who made the original Star Wars poster. So let me right. paint the picture for you since you're listening instead of not, you know, viewing our conversation. It's that iconic one with Luke standing in that heroic pose with a lightsaber above his head and the silhouette of Darth Vader in the background and the Death Star and the uh, X-Wing fighters flying towards it. All of that. All of that incredible, epic artwork that was his father's he got to see this movie before really anybody else did one of the first viewings as you heard and to think that like that piece was almost like hey, it was just a thing you know it's no big deal let's just you know put it aside and let it gather dust and that's probably people probably would give their arm and their leg to have something like that is is just incredible to think how how a piece like that that you oh this is just going to be some throwaway movie has become something that is iconic Right. As no is. one knew at the time. Yeah. Absolutely no one knew at the time. Um, and certainly not the advertising agency that contracted him to do that, because now we move to part two. Um, uh, so the movie becomes a gigantic success, as yeah. you know, and the most successful film at the time ever made, uh, and uh, which is wonderful. My dad, of course, was a gigantic science fiction fan, and he loved Star Wars. He, he thought it was wonderful. Uh, and then about, I don't know, not maybe more than two or three months after that, my dad was walking down the street in New York on Fifth Avenue, actually. And there used to be a really big Barnes and Noble right there. And he looks over at the Barnes and Noble window and in the window, of course, is a big Star Wars poster. Cool. You know, it's the one he painted. That's awesome. They're selling them. It's great. You know, nothing unusual about that. So my dad keeps walking. And then he's thinking, because he's proud, you know, it's his poster and names on there and everything. And then he's thinking, wait a minute, I never signed a copyright release. You see, because this movie was uh, was terrible and no one was ever going to see it, they didn't even bother with anything. There was no contract. They just paid. Um, So... It certainly didn't give, uh, my dad certainly didn't give any uh, authorization for ancillary merchandise. So, all right, here's what happened. So I'm, again, 10 years old at this point and a huge science fiction fan. But suddenly, while I, and I love Star Wars and I, I loved it then, but, and, and my enthusiasm for Star Wars is also at the same time mixed up with new words I'm hearing, like copyright, work for hire, <laughs> contracts. <laughs> and so on. Um, so uh, it is inevitable that I became a copyright and trademark and entertainment media lawyer wow. with destiny. <laughs> wow, that is that is, an, that is an incredible story. Yeah, yeah, it is literally Star the Star Wars poster led me to law school. Uh, so there you go. That's so cool. You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. This is Mike on the Mic on GGR Pirate Radio. 
Guys, this is a very, very special episode of Mike on the Mic on GGR Pirate Radio. I am here with Charles Hildebrand. Uh, he is not here just to talk about his love of Star Wars. Well, he is, but there's a reason for it. It all ties together with why we're here for this podcast. As he, as you heard, you know, he got into trademark law. He got into copyright law because of the experiences he had with his father and that that incredibly famous Star Wars poster, but also, too, this conversation is centering around an event that's going to be happening, and I'm going to let the expert talk about it, because it's an incredible event. It's something that, when I saw this ad pop up, I I immediately contacted uh, a mutual friend, Ulysses E. Campbell, and I asked him, I was like, what do you know about this thing? And he was like, hang on, I know a guy, let's talk Uh to him. Tell us a little bit about Escape Velocity and the Museum of Science Fiction. Sure. Um, So uh, Escape Velocity is a science and science fiction convention that is being held on Memorial Day weekend at the Gaylord National Harbor right outside of Washington, D.C. in in, uh, National Harbor, Maryland. And uh, this uh, this is an event. This is our fourth year running it. Uh, and we are the, the group running it is the Museum of Science Fiction, and we are, you, which you may have heard of. We are uh, the Washington area group of, of, uh, of science fiction fans and professionals who are working to establish a literal museum, national museum of science fiction in the Washington D.C. area. And we're taking, you know, we're making the contacts. We're we're building our network, and while we're doing that, we're putting on events, and and we're putting on in this case, a convention, uh, partially in an effort to give an idea of what a permanent museum of science fiction would be like, give you a taste of that concept uh, as a as a one night as a one time event. Uh, but also just because we love science fiction, like putting on science fiction conventions. And of course, you know, Washington D.C., although it's the national capital, doesn't really have one. You know, we have Awesome Con, but that's a that's a Comic Con. It's really not. So let me tell you about what's different. Uh, Escape Velocity is not a Comic-Con. As I said, it's a combination science education and science fiction convention. So we have, of course, we have actors uh, and writers and producers and and all the entertainment folk that you might see at something like a Comic-Con, but we also have real scientists. And uh, our, our major sponsor is NASA. Uh, which gives you an idea of the different flavor of, of what we're doing. Um, if you're old enough, uh, you, you might remember that what we're trying to do here is something a little bit like what science fiction conventions were um, back in the 1970s and into the early 1980s before they became kind of professionalized commercial enterprises when they were still kind of run by fans. Um, we're trying to bring that back. At, at that time, uh, conventions again were fan run, but they were usually combinations of science and science fiction. Uh, not maybe not 50-50, but certainly a, 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 there's a big dose of it. So what we've got is um, uh, science education, fun for kids. You know, robots and coding and and drawing, com- and, you know, comic book drawing classes and all of that, combined with. A lot of the stuff you would see at uh, a major science fiction convention, like Worldcon uh, for adults, and uh, a bunch of other stuff that you can probably only see at Escape Velocity. 
Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look, but I'm our looking our, at the program guide right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it is it is a huge array. I think that's one of the things that yeah. separates Escape Velocity from something like AwesomeCon or, or even you know I don't know, uh, Balticon maybe. Uh, we have a lot of programming, a lot, uh, many different things, and to it's do. very and it's very diverse. That's that's yes. what that was something because I heard about it. Yeah. I, I talked to Ulysses and I looked it up. And yeah. I was that what what really grabbed me and was like I, I have to I got to yeah. talk to these guys was the fact that it's not just it's not just comics and movies and th- there's so much more to it there's the science aspect to it which right. it was one of those things as a as a kid I I got hooked on Star Wars and Star Trek as a young kid and right. fell in love with space because of it and not just yeah. space battles but like for instance there's a documentary on Netflix called uh farthest uh and it has to, it goes into the details of voyager one and voyager two's venture right. through the solar system and it's just one of the most fascinating things i've ever seen and the reason why i love it so much is you have people from nasa discussing the event and this is an event that these are these are events that happened 20 30 40 years ago and they right. and it still brings them to tears because yeah. this means so much to them, and they were so excited to see these things. This was the first time that we had ever seen these things outside of a telescope, and right. that that to me has always been fascinating. Like, just I absolutely love that, and the fact that we're no longer with an event like what you guys are putting together. There's the entertainment side, of course, but there's also a focus on hey, these things that you see. Science fiction is based in something. It's science. That's the first word. Let's talk about that, and let's talk about how we can make these things we see in science fiction become science reality. We can yeah. work together to make these things that we see in the movies become something that we do as a, as, as a as a race. That's right. Um, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you can't find a scientist, a uh, professional scientist, who wasn't inspired to do what they do by science fiction. I mean, that's just the reality. That's why you go into it, right? Yeah. Uh, and of course. And science fiction, so obviously at that level, science fiction has always had an impact on real science. But science fiction goes beyond that, too, and it's one of the things we try to bring out of Escape Velocity, is science fiction is always about uh, exploring and understanding and thinking about the implications of current science. Like, what does it really mean? What What's going to happen? You know, how, how do we deal with AI? And, and what, you know, how are we, we going to deal with stuff in the future? One of the panels, for instance, that I'm on, uh, is uh, the law of science fiction inventions, right? Well, we, re- we develop all these new technologies. Some of them are pretty intense and amazing, right? But, you know, how is our legal system going to adapt to that? And the yeah. answer is usually badly, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's totally incapable of it, We right? think about the cool stuff before we think about the ramifications. Yeah, or ramifications. What could they be and where should we go and what should yeah. we do? And the, yeah. If you've ever seen Netflix series Black Mirror, basically watch yeah. that, and that's a good example. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that's right. The uh, So, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. And so we're, so we're bringing both the love of science and the love of science fiction together uh, and – in theory, yeah, right. we hope everyone will be excited about everything. We have a large, uh, another thing, aspect of this dear to my heart is gaming and, uh, you know, board gaming, tabletop gaming. Oh, okay. And uh, so we, that's, a, that's an element. Uh, one of the most interesting things we have related to that, I, I think, is we have the, uh, uh, we have uh, connections with folks in the uh, uh, defense and intelligence world that uh, put on for us um, something called the National Security Decision-Making Game, 
uh, and, or, and a couple of Matrix games, these are the kinds of simulations and gaming events that take place in the Pentagon and CIA uh, to game out possible scenarios for the future. And you can get a taste of what that's like by coming to Escape Velocity, and you can participate in them. Uh, amusingly, one of them, uh, there's, a, there's one of these simulations is being run by Philip Pornell. He is the son of science fiction writer Jerry Pornell. And uh, in addition to being a science fiction writer himself, he is also a defense analyst and military gaming specialist. And so he's bringing that to us. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, again, I'm just highlighting you know, some of the things. Yeah. yeah, some of the many, many, many things. So uh, we have, of course, media guests are, are probably our, our, you know, we have um, uh, Dominique Tipper, who plays Naomi Nagata on The Expanse, uh, is coming. And uh, if you're old enough, somebody else you might remember, we have Gigi Edgeley, who was on Farscape a long time ago. And she's back. Actually, she's been before. Uh, but yeah, it's a little of everything. The, and you were talking about – there was something I wanted to bring up to you because I, I feel like you would have probably read this story as well, uh, and we can we can equally uh, nerd out about this. There was a story in the Washington Post recently about a – it was a series of simulations that they were running, and it was uh, done through the University of Maryland where what they were doing was is they were talking about a, uh, a near-Earth asteroid that they've seen that could potentially hit the Earth in – I would right. say within the next seven years. And they right. basically were running scenarios, multiple scenarios yes. over and over and over again to see exactly what was going to happen and how they could potentially handle it. Right. Is that the kind of thing, is that similar to this kind of defense planning that, that you're talking about in these panels? So that discussing? Uh, a, a little bit like that. Um, uh, it's probably better to think of these things as um, uh, large-scale LARPs. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it's a LARP where you don't play a single character, but you might play, you know, I'm the Russian Federation. Or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm um, the Chinese military. Yeah. Or I'm, you know, you understand. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and though that's kind of how it works. So you, it, it, uh, and of course you have, as playing a faction or sometimes an individual, you're, you have your own objectives, right, that you're trying to achieve, your own policy objectives. Uh, and you, it, the, the test is how does this interact with everybody else? And how, how are people going to react to things like, yeah, there's an asteroid coming. What are we going to do? Uh, and it's never as simple as let's cooperate and achieve the optimal result for humanity. <laughs> That's never going to happen. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is this, the stakes in these are not nearly as high as what these guys were doing at University of Maryland. Well, no, the stakes are much higher. I mean, because uh, no, 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 cooperating and, and uh, <laughs> cooperating uh, for the mutual good of humanity. Uh, well, first of all, is unrealistic. But of course, everyone would. Uh, Human behavior is what it's going to be. I'll cooperate for the sake of humanity at the same time that it allows me to annex a piece of the Ukraine. I got you. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. yeah, yeah. Under understood. Uh, <laughs> so uh, of all of the things, I mean, this is I, – I love – and again, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back to this. I love how diverse yep. this event is because it's yep. not just – one side or the other. I mean, I'm reading through um, the programming guide for Saturday, for instance. And Saturday, there it's starting. I mean, it starts early too at 9 a.m. Klingon and other sci-fi languages, which is super cool. Um, yeah. Oh, so actually, yeah. let me talk about that. So yeah, that's Mark Ockrent, who is the creator of Klingon. 
Uh, he is the author of the Klingon Dictionary. He created Klingon for Star Trek. Uh, he's the one who came up with the grammar and whatnot. And uh, yeah, he he lives here in Washington D.C. Really, I didn't know that. I I, yeah. I knew enough a little bit about the language. I knew that. Um, at one point in the motion picture, in Star Trek the motion picture, it was James James Doohan who said something to the effect of, why isn't there Klingon language? And that's kind right. of the genesis of it. And I, I'm sure, and I remember the stories of when we got to Star Trek VI, there was discussion, they wanted uh, Kang to say to be or not to be. And they were like, wait, there's no to be or not to be no in to be. Klingon. So we have, right. he needs to create, yeah, and they created a language around the desire to use that. And I thought that was really awesome. Right. Um, so actually, and uh, I would like to say I want to take personal credit for adding a, a very important word to the Klingon language. So two years ago, Mark Ockren was at Escape Velocity. Oh, yeah. And uh, and uh, during that and at that Escape Velocity, uh, we ran a panel called The Law of Star Trek, where we talk about legal issues as they appear in Star Trek and how they're discussed. And of course, there are quite a few on court martial oh, yeah. episodes. And yeah, it's all over the when, place. And like, is, is Data a sentient being, those sorts of things? Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. All over it. Um, and uh, we, uh, uh, at the same time, we had a group of Klingon cosplayers. And we ended that panel by having the Klingon cosplayers, the Klingons, come in and arrest us for crimes <laughs> against the Klingon Empire. But uh, we're, we're lawyers, right? So yeah. we had, well, I knew, I, I, so we demanded that we be read our Miranda rights. You know, you have the right to remain silent and whatnot. So I hit on the idea of, well, this is easy. I'm going to go get Mark to translate the Miranda rights into Klingon. No problem, right? So uh, I think on the first day of the convention, I, I gave him that assignment, so to speak. He lit up. He loved the idea. And the next day, he, next morning, he came back because the panel was going to be that day. Uh, he pulled out his translated version of the Miranda rights to me and handed it to me. And, uh, and he said, I had to invent a new word. I said, yes, what's that word? He said, I discovered that there was no Klingon word for lawyer. But there is now. <laughs> it, is, it is shoot kesweet. That's awesome. I, um, so anyway, yeah. So he'll be back. Yeah. He'll be back. It's fantastic. I wanted to ask you too, like kind of a logistical question about about the whole concept of having a brick and mortar museum yeah. of science fiction. Is there? Right. Is there like a fundraising goal? Because I just picture in my head like those big thermometers that you like, you know what I mean? You fill them right. over time. Is, is yeah. there like a, a set number where this is this is the amount of money we need to raise? Or is it kind of a moving target? Or, or there, I mean, I would assume as a lawyer, there's probably a million legal things that have to be ironed out in order for you to do this. But kind of where, where do you guys lie in this process of trying to achieve this goal right. of having a, a stable place for a museum of science fiction? So we're a while away from the thermometer filled with cash. Okay. Um, the, uh, uh, so we, we've commissioned architectural concepts, and we are exploring zoning, and we are exploring you know, local bond incentives and that sort of stuff. So we, we are very early on in picking out a site, thinking about what we can do, what kind of real estate it would be in, and so on. So uh, this is the lead time on these things is enormous yeah. uh, for a new museum, for sure. And, and we are still very early on. That's why we decided to go and do stuff while we're working on this. Because, you know, while we're doing all the things you have to do to try and figure out the possibilities for a new museum, we're in the process of acquiring the collection, right? That's happening where we have stuff. Uh, so it just made perfect sense to try and well let's show it to the public while we still while we have it now and 
let's put things on and do the programming that we would do at the museum uh, as a as a continuing event series. Is is there in a in a perfect world? Yeah. It's it's got to be in DC, correct? Like, there's no other place that you well, can have this. It is uh, I mean, it, it it'll be in the, not physically in the district. I mean, it might be in Alexandria or whatever, but it's going to be the yeah, greater be DC the, metro area. The greater DC metro okay. area, absolutely. Yeah, okay. sure, sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so far, thus far, I mean, you guys have been doing Escape Velocity for how many years now? This is our fourth year. Fourth year. Mm-hmm. What has been the thing? the guest, the event, the thing that has made you, for lack of a better term, geek out the most? What is the thing that just you you were so excited about you almost forgot yourself? Like you felt like you were a little kid all over again. No, I think I just told you. When when Mark, when the creator of Klingon coined the word Klingon word for lawyer for us. <laughs> that was that was the one. That was the event. Okay. It can't be that. I mean, come yeah. on. Everything everything came together for you. It right. A, yeah. A, a confluence of all things. Yeah. It is a confluence of all things. Did I ever think that'd be? I mean, I remember sitting in Star Trek the Motion Picture the first time and watching, uh, you know, uh, 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 Mark Leonard speak Klingon up there, and, and and yeah, did I ever believe that? Yeah, I would be instrumental in getting the Klingon word for lawyer made. No. <laughs> That's very cool. I might one of our one of our taglines for GGR is is don't be a juice bag. Um, it all came like my I have a son. He's ten now, but when we first started the website, he was he was little, um, and he heard somebody say the word douchebag, and he looked at me and he said, "Dad, what's a juice bag?" And I started laughing, and I was like, "That's even a, that's a better insult than calling somebody a douchebag." It is. It is. I, like I, I want to see if I can talk to Mark and see if maybe we can get a Klingon translation for "Don't be a juice bag." Oh, I, I, he'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> he'll do it. <laughs> As as a as a uh, fellow Star Trek fan, I wanted to uh, ask you uh, just real quickly your thoughts. Have you have you watched and or followed uh, Star Trek Discovery at all? Uh, no comment. No comment. Okay. <laughs> I'd rather not. Fair, fair fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, actually, let me tell you a story about. Okay. That, rather than rather than tell you my opinion. Uh, <laughs> okay. Because it'll uh, it'll tell you, but because it's funny because uh, it relates to Mark. Okay. Um, as you know, if you may recall, from the very beginning of uh, Star Trek Discovery, uh, there was a lot of Klingon stuff in the show, oh, right? Yeah. And a whole scenes in Klingon. And um, so early on in the production, they knew they were going to do that. And they came to Mark Ockrid and, and told him, you know, we're going to have a lot of Klingon material. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. So we need some help from you. And Mark face lit up. Yeah, oh, absolutely, I'll help you. So here's what we need from you, Mark. Yeah, what's that? We need to tell. We need you to give us the name of the top Klingon expert in Canada. Because oh, because they film in oh <laughs> oh okay. You know, I let me let me state this. I I have been. I'm a fan of the show. I've been enjoying it. However, I have heard many stories from many fans and people mm-hmm. associated with with Trek throughout its entire history that are very similar to the story you're telling me right now. So it's, <laughs> I, I certainly understand. I get it. I, I yeah. could see where you would be like, you know what? I don't even want to talk about it because they're not. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. It, it's, it's also, I mean, let's put it this way. Um, there's no such, there's no one thing that is Star Trek. So Star Trek is a vast universe. And to think that the original series is really anything like, I don't know, Voyager or is anything like Star Trek Enterprise. It's not. These things are all just radically different, right? 
Star Trek Discovery is is also radically different, and it's really nothing like any of the others. Um, and and it's also a question of like, who's it for, right? And and uh, Netflix is the prime mover and uh, owner and uh, creator of the show. Uh, they licensed to CBS in the United States, but everywhere else in the world, outside of the U.S., it's a Netflix show, and it says Netflix Presents. Um, so once you realize that this is a show, well, who's it for? Uh, that's part of what's telling you who it's for, and a lot of other, you know, you could. It's just for a different audience. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Have you have you been watching and following uh, Seth MacFarlane's The Orville? That's a riot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that that's seems to be the consensus. Is I, I I think a lot of your um, old school fans. My generation. Yeah. My generation likes that one. So I, and, and I will say that I mean he hit he knows well. I think Seth is exactly my age, um, and uh, so uh, he knows what he's doing. And yeah, it is what it is. It's a it's a blend of Star Trek the original series with Star Trek the Next Generation. It's yeah. Almost exactly. Yeah. If you had and, taken the writers of Family Guy and had them in the writing room too, like it's sort of like, the first so season was, but the second season, like they really shied away from those jokes. Like the, yeah. it's been way more serious. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, yeah. I'm not even sure. Like even the first season, it started. The first few episodes had a lot of jokes, but by the end of the season, they were like, okay, you know, we'll put a couple jokes in, but basically, we're doing a straight adventure show. And yeah, yeah. there was there was there was a joke that, um, and I was I mentioned him before, Steve Connolly. Uh, he had said. That when Robert Kirkman, the creator of uh, The Walking Dead, when he pitched yep. the idea to Image Comics, that yep. he told them that it was only going to be a few episodes of zombies and then there was going to be aliens and all these other things that showed up in order to get Image to buy the book because they didn't like the idea of just zombies. And then yeah. he never, ever did it. And yeah. he was saying that he thinks Seth MacFarlane did the same thing with the Orville. He was like, oh, no, 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 it's going to be funny. It's going to be great. For, and they did it for like three episodes, and then they just dropped the whole thing, and he wanted to do a Star Trek show, and that's what it's been ever since. I, that's, I think we all agree. That's sure what it looks like to me. Seth wanted to do a real show, and they just, you know, okay, fine. I'll put some jokes in for you guys to fund it, but then this is it. Exactly. And it's done well. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know what to say. It's done well. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. But it's, it is what it is. It's, yeah, it's, it's for us. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to say I really liked that this uh, this event that you guys are doing. Uh, and again, it's Escape Velocity. Guys, make sure yeah. if you're in the D.C. metro area that you're checking this out. Uh, it is May the 23rd, the 24th, and the 25th. It is at the Gaylord National Convention Center in, uh, I guess, what are we calling that now? It's the it's Inner Harbor. It's actually called the, the National, National Harbor. Harbor. Yeah. Okay. Um, and just to be clear, the uh, website is escapevelocity.events. There we go. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I... Escape Velocity events, type it into Google and you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll see this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You type in Escape Velocity, it'll take you right there too. So it's it's very easy. Or if you're on the Museum of Science Fiction on Facebook, there's links right there. You can check that out too. Um, I wanted to give you guys props. I really love that this has become a... So science fiction can oftentimes be daunting for new fans. It, 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 there's often a, a stigma that comes with it where it's like, okay, this is going to be an older crew. This is going to be like mostly men. But there, the diversity of this con, yeah. of this con, it's not even a convention. It's just it's more than that. The diversity right. is just incredibly impressive. It, you cater to children as well. Um, I, I just I really applaud you guys for for making this accessible for all because yeah. that is 
that's in, in today's day and age, it, it, that's fantastic. And it's something that our website has stood by since day one. And that, that was another reason that, that attracted me to you guys is that seems that that is a massive priority for you is to make this available yeah. to everyone. That's exactly right. Uh, so we are very cognizant of that, of all of those considerations. And uh, outreach uh, to is a huge part of what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we're trying to break science. I don't want to say we're, we're trying to make sure that science fiction reaches everyone, not just as, you know, it does have a, it, I agree with you, it, it does have a sort of stigma that, oh, that's for men. Yeah. Um, you're opening, you know. you're opening the gates basically. It's, yeah. But we want to, yeah, we want to make it clear that that's not true. You know, that, that, that everyone should, can love science fiction and that, that we want everyone to love science fiction. Um, and you know, it's kind of weird, uh, if you think about it, right? Like it's the literature of the future. It's a literature of possibility. So why would it be limited to just, yeah. you know, white men? <laughs> that make a lot of sense actually. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't think it, you know, the, there's sort of a canon of science fiction uh, that that is is fair to say is dominated by white men, although not exclusively by any means. Yeah. Right. So uh, it's just a, a lot of the big names in, in like, you know, in the 40s and 50s and even into the 60s were white men. Uh, although, you know, Samuel Delaney is right there, you know, and, uh, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin was right there the whole time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, we are absolutely. Um, aggressively pursuing that as a as an important part of what we do yeah sure. and it's 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 it is definitely noted uh and yeah. appreciated from yeah. for many people a lot of a lot of the other people that i've been talking to who are excited about the event that was one of the things that immediately attracted them to it was that yeah. so yeah i wanted to uh we'll go ahead and wrap things up here um but i wanted to give you a chance uh charles to kind of tell everybody if they're on the fence about this well, mm-hmm. What is the why should they why should they choose to spend their money their time and go to the event at the national at the Gaylord National Convention Center uh, in and I still can't remember the name of it it's it's killing Nash, me. I just I want to call it I want to call it Oxen Nash, Hill because that's what it is well but, it is Oxen Hill Maryland it's na- yeah. they, they're now calling it National Harbor National Maryland, Harbor Maryland. Yes. yeah so it's the it's the Gaylord National Harbor yes. Memorial Day weekend so yes. the, you know, uh, this coming, the end of this month. Yes, but why, uh, why escape why, Well, um, so even if you are a, have been to conventions before, um, I can certainly guarantee you you've never been to one like this. You've never seen a convention like this. Uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is something new. That's, uh, this is, a, this is a, uh, something for children, something for adults, Something for old school science fiction fans, something for younger science fiction fans, something for gamers, a lot for cosplayers. Every aspect of it we're trying to bring together in a place that doesn't cater to just one audience like a Comic-Con might or or even, you know, um, like a Star Trek convention, which I've certainly gone to. But obviously they're focused on just Star Trek. And this is more than that. We're going to bring it all together. Uh, Outstanding. So, guys, make sure you check out. Uh, on Facebook, it's the Museum of Science Fiction. You can find it right there. Uh, EscapeVelocity.events. You can see it right there. You can get tickets. Cool thing, if you got kids and they're 10 or under, adult admission gets a free kid ticket. That that was... I sold a couple of people on that immediately. I was like, hey, bring the kids because it's free. And they were they were all in for that. Um, Charles, thank you so much for your time. This was this was incredible. Like, your, your history and attachment to 
some of the pinnacle moments in science fiction is just is just fascinating. And I can't wait to see you at the event, and also I can't wait to pick your brain about more of this stuff. We'll see you there. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website greatgeekrefuge.com for more podcasts and our awesome articles. This has been Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy!